We're talking about the Lord's Prayer again. We're continuing on through Luke, and we're talking about the Lord's Prayer for the second week in a row. The first week we talked about we talked about how, particularly in Luke's um, account of, of the Lord's Prayer, which is the shorter, more whittled-down account, when you read Matthew's account, it's probably the one that we're more familiar with um, and a little more fleshed out in some ways. But in both of them, they're basically broken down into three sections. There's an address. There's the beginning part where we find out who we're talking to. Uh, and that is God the Father. Um, then there are these two sets of petitions um, that we have. The first set of petitions um, is in, in Luke's account. There are only two petitions, but they are of a more cosmic nature, big overarching themes of, of history and the universe and God's mission in the world. Okay, And that's what we talked about last week at, at Easter, that God's name would be hallowed, and that his kingdom would come. These are grand and glorious requests, right? The things that we pray for. That God's name and reputation would be the most important thing in existence. And that he would rule not only in the world, but in particular in the hearts of his people. And so as we talked about last week, the answering of those two prayers, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come, the answering of those prayers, and the foundation for all future answerings of those prayers are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that is to say that his fame, Jesus' fame, his exaltation, um, the fact that his name has been lifted above every other name is a function of the fact that he was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Right? And through his obedience to the, on the cross, um, his name has been exalted. His name has been hallowed. And then we also looked at how the idea pops up in the scriptures about how Jesus' resurrection is, is the beginning of the establishment of his kingdom. In some ways, it is more than the establishment of, of his kingdom. And so some of us are familiar with the idea of the already and the not yet that we find in scriptures. In scriptures, the resurrection is, is the beachhead of the already, but it is also the final victory of the not yet. Okay. And so we are seeing those themes play out through history. And so in one way, the battle's already won. The war is already over because of the resurrection of Jesus. And then in another way, we see that those events are still playing out in the lives of people and in, in, and in the history of the world. But Jesus has, has defeated, in his death and resurrection, he has defeated the cosmic forces of darkness in the world, their dominion over the world. We are praying that his name would be exalted, that his kingdom would come, and then the next petition is, give us some bread. Okay? Kind of seems like a, a downstep a little bit, right? From, from the cross and the resurrection to asking for our daily bread. It's kind of anticlimactic, it feels like. And maybe even when we emphasize those first two things so much, it almost seems silly for us to ask for bread in light of the glories of those other petitions. But again, here's what we notice about the Lord's Prayer. And it goes back to that address section at the beginning. Who are we talking to in this passage? Matthew tells us that we are talking to our Father, who art in heaven. And so that heavenly address that God has places him in a transcendent position of unapproachable light with future cosmic events in his hands. 
right? That's the God who lives in heaven. But at the same time, the second set of petitions reminds us particularly that he is our father. The intimate nature of that fatherhood. He really does care that you had a rough day at work, okay? Cosmic things on this side and and a daily care for his children on the other. So the second set of petitions remind us that that daily life, that daily walk is of inestimable concern to the Lord. And that our blessing in those areas, we rely on him every single second of every single day for those things. And so what we find is this. Jesus' prayer, remember, because he's teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus' prayer is teaching us not only what is truly important, what's truly necessary in our lives, but he's also sort of saying, but this is what you need right now from God. This is what you need to get through the day. This is what you will need tomorrow morning when you wake up. These are the things that we must ask for in the posture that we stand before God. And so what we see in the second set of petitions is three things. And convenient to Baptist pastorness, there's a nice little, there's, there's three Ps here. Every single day, we need his provision, we need his pardon, and we need his protection. And we are called to ask for those things every single day. So the first one, we need his provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day um, our day-to-day bread in some translations. So is he only talking about actual bread? Well, no. So bread is obviously, it, it's a staple of the ancient diet, um, and it really is, to, a, to some extent, a modern uh, staple too. But when we ask God for our daily bread, uh, we are doing a couple of things, Okay. So first off, what we're doing is we are recognizing and acknowledging before God the vast sequence of cause and effect that must be maintained for you to get food and live every single day. So from a, from a macro level of kind of talking about planting and weather and growth, and harvest, and transportation, and commerce, and economy, and all these different things, right? Each of those things, as we read the scriptures, is the gift of God's grace to humankind, right? Granted, they come through our obedience, our industry, um, our morality in all those situations, right? But we don't take any of those things for granted. Without God's blessings, society breaks down, and then people starve, People's basic everyday needs in terms of provision are not met. So without God's sovereignty over nature, without God's sovereignty over agriculture and and things like that, without God's sovereignty over economy, you starve to death tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But obviously it's more than just that because when we're asking God for our daily bread, we're asking him for more than just food. We're asking God for our physical well-being. We're asking God for clothing and shelter and health and safety and community and society and all these different things. We are asking for him to provide for us on a daily basis. Sometimes I think we might 
be led to think that all these practical issues are kind of unimportant, right? It's, it, oh, these are, you know, just things that I need to go take care of um, or whatever. And yet the reality is, is that these things are critically important, obviously, for us. Do you remember the place in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching the disciples about prayer um, and, and uh, other topics as well? And he says, you know, consider the lilies of the field, um, Consider how they're clothed. Consider how the birds are fed. And then he says this. He says, the Gentiles seek after those things. They seek after food and clothing and trying to look well and eat well and all these things like that. And, and verse 32 of Matthew 6 says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay? So, but then he goes on to say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's why those other two petitions about hallowed be his name and his kingdom come, they were at the beginning of this passage, right? This comes second, but just because it's second doesn't mean it's unimportant. God says in that passage, I know you need these things. I've created you to have to have daily provision like that. And so they're not unimportant, and they're not beneath you coming to me and asking me to help provide for these things. And so when we ask God for our daily bread, what are we really saying? We're saying, God, will you take care of me? Will you take care of every need that I have? The word daily is particularly important, right? What does it mean? Why does he say give us our daily bread? Because God doesn't take care of us by giving us a lump sum bunch of stuff all at once and then coming back later to replenish it. Why does he not do that? You know the reason why. Because when God works that way, we ignore him as a father. We take his blessing, we use up all of that stuff, and we don't come back until we're in need. We're a lot like the prodigal son in that way, because that's exactly what he did. Did he not? He said, give me my inheritance up front. I just want all the stuff in a lump sum. That way I don't have to talk to you anymore, and I can go do what I want with my stuff. But as soon as the stuff is gone... The guy, the, 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 the character in the story, the prodigal son, he returns to the father. Now, in the story, he is truly repentant of that. And guess what? The father is truly gracious to receive him back. But again, that's, that's not the way ideally that God wants these things. God wants us depending on him in a daily kind of way. We know that we would ignore God if he were to give us things in surplus. Again, we see that with the story of the Israelites and the manna. The manna that came from heaven during the, the, the wilderness wandering came every day. And if you tried to gather more than a day's worth, what would happen? It would rot, except on the Sabbath. You could get two days then, and then it would stay, and then, and then, but then the next day it would, it would rot, right? Each morning it was provided in an attempt to keep people from stockpiling it. His provision to us, that daily provision is a function of his fatherly care, his relationship that he wants to have with us. He wants to engage us on a daily basis. He wants us to trust him on a daily basis for these things. Right? He is not a cosmic bureaucrat who gives out welfare checks at the first of the month so that you can have nothing to do with him until you need another one at the next time, right? No, it's more like a father who sits down with his children every morning to breakfast, knowing that the food that is provided and the love that is given is a function of his fatherly care and concern for his children and his daily in engagement with them in their lives. And so that's the first thing we, we ask. We ask for God's provision in our lives. 
Remember that each petition of the prayer relates to, to the most essential elements of our need, like what we need today. And that's why it's really interesting, because I think the reality is everybody in here would agree that you need food. Okay? Nobody's going to, if I said, what are the basic, most necessary needs of your life? Probably everybody in here would say, well, food, food's one. We have to have food. Okay. But I think the next one is something that many people would not think of as necessary. I think the next position, certainly that the world would not think this was something that we needed on a daily basis. Because every single day, we need pardon. We need forgiveness in our lives every single day. And so the next, the next passage, the next petition is that um, God would forgive us of our sins. So here's, here's a fun little Bible study, okay? Because we're all probably aware of the fact that when we recite the Lord's Prayer in different church traditions, different people say it different ways, right? And there's usually three different ways that people say it. People either say, forgive us our trespasses. They say, forgive us our debts. Or sometimes they say, forgive us our sins. Now, which one's right? Okay, Which one is the one that we should say? Well, so here's the reason why those are there's different ones. So Luke uses the word harmartia. Okay? That's the word for sin. So, so he uses the word for sin in his. Forgive us of our sins. A sin is something that goes against the command of God, goes against the character of God. So the first thing that we kind of have to keep in our head is, so Luke says sins, right? Matthew actually uses a different word. Matthew uses the word Ophelima, sure, yeah, um, which means debt or debtor, okay? So then that has the idea of saying this, well, what do we owe God? Forgive us the things that we owe to you, God, that we have not paid, right? That's another key idea that we should have in our head, okay? Now, there's only two Lord's Prayers in the Scriptures, one in Matthew and one in Luke, so where do we get this trespasses from? Because I would bet that many of us in here say trespasses when, when we do the Lord's Prayer. Why is that in there? Because it's not in either Luke or Matthew's translation. Well, here's the reason why. I didn't know this either until I had come across it this last time. So the, the, the word trespasses is parapatoma in Greek. And it comes from Matthew's account, though not in the Lord's Prayer particularly. It's in the section right after. So after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay? So it's obvious that the idea of trespasses is in there. But then the interesting thing, and, and, and we know what a trespass is, right? If you trespass on somebody's property, you are going somewhere you're not supposed to go. You have stepped across a line in the sand um, or a fence or a posted sign, and you have gone beyond the place that you were supposed to go. The interesting thing is, is again, we say, but why do we say it? Because it's not actually part of the Lord's Prayer. Well, you know what? Here's, here's a fun little fact for you. You remember two years ago at, at uh, uh, Reformation Day, All Saints Day, when we talked about a guy named William Tyndale? William Tyndale was one of the first people to translate the Bible into English. He was a, he was a contemporary of Martin Luther. He was that, one of those early Reformation guys. Well, for some reason, William Tyndale translated that passage and put, forgive us our trespasses. And guess what? It's stuck. 
Uh, and it's just been there ever since, okay? Probably because that the, the way the prayer found its way into liturgical use, people started praying it that way, and then when they actually went back to the scriptures and went, that's not what that word is, they were like, too late, man, we're, we're, we're committed now. It's in the Book of Common Prayer or whatever else, and so we're committed. Um, but it just goes to point to, again, the, uh, the thing that we said a few years ago of the, if, if you've got a Bible in English, you owe a whole lot of it to William Tyndale. If you're a Christian from the English-speaking world, you owe a whole lot of that to, to the influence of William Tyndale. Um, but you can go back and listen to that sermon. So um, anyway, each of those words, though, represents something about what sin is. Right? It is a breaking of God's word. It is a stepping over a bound um, that we are supposed to not step over. It is recognizing that we owe God something. We have owed him a life and a behavior and a faith and a trust. We have owed him things that we have not paid him, that we have not given to him. And so we ask him to forgive us of the fact that we have not lived up to the, the great debt that we owe him. We must be forgiven every single day. That forgiveness is part of our clear and present need every single day. You need forgiveness every day like you need to eat every day. We say, Ash, I'm already forgiven, right? Like, don't we talk about that all the time? Isn't, isn't the whole reason Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven? Our, our, you said it today, Ash, during the prayer, that our sins, past, present, and future, are already forgiven on, when Jesus died on the cross. Isn't that true? And the answer is yes, that is all true. But again, I think the key to understanding the, the nuance, and we talk about this all the time here, but the key to understanding the nuance is who are we addressing in this prayer? We are not addressing our king, who is God. We are not addressing, excuse me, our judge. Forgive us, judge, our trespasses. Forgive us, king, our trespasses. We're not talking in that way. Is God judging king? Sure he is, but that's not how we're talking. Who are we talking to? We're talking to our father. And so what happens is we find that the Lord's Prayer in many ways is a family prayer, you could say. It's not a criminal standing before a judge. It is a child standing before their father. And that's how we talk to him. And so we say, Dad, I'm sorry for the ways that I have broken your commandment. I'm sorry for the ways that I have stepped over bounds that I know I shouldn't have stepped over. God, I'm sorry for the things that I owe you, my responsibilities, and yet I have not lived up to those things. I'm sorry for those things. I ask your forgiveness in them. And so judicially, our sins have been paid for and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. In terms of God's role as king and judge, those things are finished. And yet, on a daily basis, we need to come back into right relationship with God in terms of our, our personal interaction with him. That's why we have the time of confession and repentance. That's particularly why we have it before we go to the Lord's Supper table. Because we, we want to... Again, you know the illustration because we've all been there in our family life before. You've been in an argument with your mom or dad. You've been in an argument with your sibling, and you have had to sit down at a table with them and stare at their ugly face all through dinner, right? And you're sitting there going, I'm so mad, and there's so much beef between me and this person. I mean, I don't even want to be in their presence right now. And there's this issue there. And you say, Man, that's not the way a, a family dinner should happen, although we've all been there before. But the problem is, is what we realize in this prayer is that, all of the beef is on our side. We're the ones who have caused all the beef. God has not caused any of this beef. The Father has not done anything to, to, to hurt this relationship. We are the ones who have 
sinned. We are the ones who have trespassed. We are the ones who owe a debt that we are unable or unwilling to pay. And so we need to clear the air and come before our Father and say, forgive me for my sins. Now, again, we, it, we, it, the next passage is a little bit maybe might make some of us nervous because it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And some people, again, might think, well, is, th- is that some sort of, are we talking about some kind of works-based salvation now? Are we saying that it, I have to do this thing first uh, so that I can be saved? And, and the reality is I think it's actually the other way around. If we have really understood the gospel, if we have really understood our own sinfulness and our own weakness and our own need, then we, we should understand that everybody else is in the same boat there with us. And so we should extend that same forgiveness that we seek from God, we should extend that to other people. It, pour, it, it points to an important idea that forgiveness is not meant to be a license for your sin. So when we come to the Father in prayer, we don't say, forgive us our sins, get out a jail free card, um, party on Saturday night, confess on Sunday morning, and we're all good. That's all we're doing, right? That's not the kind of prayer it is. When he says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven other people, it's pointing to the fact that this prayer, a life in Christ, ought to change us. We ought to be different people because of this attitude and posture that we have to God. We ought to be different people. If I'm going to ask of God's forgiveness, that ought to change me to the extent that I extend that forgiveness to other people. That's an important piece of all this. It should alter how we live our lives. Okay, so we have God's provision that we need daily. We need God's pardon daily. But lastly, we need God's protection as well. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So how do we use that word temptation? Okay, we, we ask the question, does God tempt people? It would seem that he does from that passage, right? We are asking God, don't lead me into temptation, as if sometimes God does lead me into temptation, and I'm asking him not to do that. But I think we misunderstand it if that's the way we see the passage. God does not tempt his people. Certainly not in the sense of sinfully trying to trip people up. James tells us that. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. God doesn't tempt you, but he does test you. He does allow trials to come into your life sometimes to either demonstrate growth or, in some cases, to produce that growth. Again, James tells us of that process. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay? That's a, that's a, the, the language of that passage is, I think, key, because sometimes we might think, no, 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 uh, the, the test was just there to show the faith that I already have. And the answer is, I don't think that's the case. I think that you are becoming the person you are supposed to be by going through the ordeal. You are building the faith muscles by going through the difficulty that you are going through and being faithful in them. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's how we grow in the faith, is through testing, through trial in these things. Okay, 
So if, if in that case, Ash, if God uses those testings for good then, and he doesn't tempt us, then what exactly are we asking for? He doesn't lead us into temptation, but we're asking him not to lead us in temptation. But temptation sometimes is used for our good, but we don't want that. What, what's going on? It's, it seems like it's contradictory in some ways. Well, here's, here's I think, the, the reality. is What we find is, and the reason why we're praying this, is because when God tests us, the devil is always there to tempt us at the same time. We say that over and over again in Scripture. We see it in the story of Job. When, when God is testing Job, and yet the devil is certainly tempting him. We see that with Jesus in the wilderness when he is tempted three times. There's a test going on um, is of Jesus' faithfulness, but then at the same time, the devil is obviously there tempting as well. That's why this prayer says, deliver us from evil, or some would say, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Don't, when we are in those times of trial, don't let the devil come in and, and, and mess us up. Because Satan is always there in times of difficulty. He is there waiting, Peter tells us, like a lion, waiting to devour us. And so we have to be always ready for that. And we are asking that, God, would you watch over me? Would you protect me in those tr- times? Okay. And the reason we're asking him is because, again, if we are honest about our lives, we recognize that we are all incredibly weak. We are incredibly inept at a lot of these things. That when we get into a situation and are tempted by the devil, that oftentimes we will succumb to that. We just ask that God would forgive us of our sins, right? Why do we need forgiveness of our sins? Because we sin a lot. Because we do fall into the trap. We mess up when we are going through difficult situations. And so here we're asking God for protection because we know that we're liable to do it again. When the difficulty comes, we may mess up again and stumble and fail that test. Just like the hymn that we sing, that we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what, that's, our hearts are prone to wonder. Paul warns the Corinthian church. He says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? The Corinthians are very proud of their, of their spiritual maturity and strength. But as we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, we realize these people are a bunch of idiots, right? Like they are failing in every way you can fail. But they thought they were strong in the faith. And so, we're called to pray that God would protect us during these things. So I'd say don't fail to budget for temptation. Recognize that anytime you're going through a time of difficulty or trial or stress, that God is using it to grow you. But the devil is going to be right there trying to use it to derail you as well. It just is an added piece. Don't ever seek after temptation. He says, do not lead us into temptation. Man, every once in a while you'll find somebody who makes some dumb comment like, well, I, I, I want to go to this place and do this thing and be a part of this thing. I'm not going to partake of it. I just want to test my own resolve or something like that. And it's like, man, that's a dumb idea, okay? Um, you're not that tough, okay? The, the idea is flee from temptation, run from it, like a man being chased by sharks, if you, whatever, you're not running from sharks, swimming from sharks, but <laughs> flee, flee temptation. Don't ever 
feel like, oh, yeah, I'm going to test myself. I'm going to go out there and see if I've got what it takes to stand up to this temptation. Because more often than not, that's you being dumb and the devil is just waiting for that opportunity. So all that to say, how should we pray? That's what the disciples are asking in this passage. And I think it leads us to do two things. It leads us to Jesus is teaching us petitions. Like he is teaching us the actual core things that we need to be asking of God. But he's also teaching us a posture when we come before the Lord in prayer. We ask God for all these things, both on a big picture level and on a small picture level. We want people to know Jesus. I'll bet you pray about that sometimes. I bet you've got friends and family who you want to know Jesus, and you pray for those people. You want to see his kingdom come in their lives. You want to live in a world that is orderly and holy. Like you want to live in a world that is safe and and people are righteous and and they live rightly. You want people to believe the things of God, to desire the things of God. All that is tied up in those petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we're asking for God in those things. But we also ask for these things on a small, zoomed-in basis. We want God's daily care. We want to grow in in his grace and knowledge. We want to be at peace with God. We want to be protected from the dangers that are around us. Each of those is connected to those provision, pardon, protection of the second half. And so Jesus is giving us the core petitions to ask God. So what I would encourage you is when you go to God in prayer, you'll find probably that many of the prayers you pray on a daily basis fall into these categories, okay? But you also might think to yourself about how as you pray, if you are leaving some of these categories out, that you are probably being presumptuous in some way, okay? If you never pray for your daily bread, maybe this is the reason, maybe not, but it's probably because you think you've got that covered. You're like, I got this. I I can do this, God. I can do that daily bread part on my own. And you can't. My kids probably think that food just magically appears in the fridge every day, okay? But it would only take... A few days of no income coming in, of of nobody going to the grocery store before they would realize this stuff doesn't just magically happen, that somebody has provided these things for us. So so we we, we pray these as as petitions. They sort of focus the the categories of things that we we should be thinking about. Again, maybe you're somebody who is, is consumed with the daily issues of life, but you don't pray about the big stuff. Okay? Like you're, you're, you're praying for God's protection and, and forgiveness and, and provision every single day, but you think very little of, of his kingdom, of his will being done in the world, of his name being hallowed. Okay? Or maybe you're the opposite. I don't know. Um, but it is a, it's, it's, Jesus is giving us a, a, a picture um, of, of what our petition should be, but he's also giving us a posture. God is this transcendent being who we cannot even fathom the plans that he has, that we cannot see all the pieces coming together, that we don't know how he is going to bring all these things together. All we do is get a picture of the end of the story, and then we are left to watch how the whole thing plays out. And so he is this big, infinitely wise, infinitely good, infinitely holy, 
infinitely creative, a God whose plan is coming to fruition, and yet at the same time, he is a father who cares deeply for you, he cares deeply for your family, he cares deeply for your neighbors, he cares deeply for every aspect of his life, and he wants to be connected at every aspect of your life. And moreover, he wants you to realize your vulnerability. those things. He wants you to realize that you are little and he is big and he cares for you and he is going to take care of you in all these things. So I hope that you'll, you'll take these things and you'll apply them into your prayer life. I think there's other things that we could talk about. There's, there's lots of different models and things to talk about, but man, if this is how Jesus says to pray, um, I'm not sure where else we could go that we think that we would be adding to that. That this is a, a, a beautiful picture of, of both our posture and our what we should ask of our Father in heaven. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. And um, let's kind of pray. I'm going I'm to pray through this, the Lord's Prayer, as, as, as we go. And um, I hope that you'll do the same in your own prayer time. Father God, we, we come before you as our Father. Uh, we acknowledge you as, as our Dad. God, that you have adopted us into your family, that you care for us. God, it is a strange thing for us to have a Father, that my Father is the King of the universe. Um, that is a strange thing and a difficult thing for me to wrap my head around, as I'm sure it would be difficult for, for a small child to understand that their, that their father was the president or that their father was this, this captain of industry or something. How much more infinitely so is it, is it strange for us to think that the dad who provides for us on a daily basis is also the creator of the universe? And Father, we know that your plans, that God, you have created this entire world for your glory, and we want your glory to be known. We want your name to be exalted and lifted up. We want every single person, when they hear the name of, of God, to, to, to worship, to be brought to their knees in, in awe and, and uh, God, recognition of the glory of who you are. We want everyone to know your name, that, that the rocks would cry out, that all of creation would be declaring who you are. That's what we ask of you. We, we know that you are doing that. We, we read your word and we see that these plans are coming to fruition over the course of human history, God, and into eternity. But, but we ask that we would see that, that your name would be hallowed every single day. God, that your kingdom would come. We want to see you rule. We want to see the evil and the wickedness that we see in the world ended. God, we want to see um, the hypocrisy and, and the, the self-righteousness of our own lives. We want to see that ended. God, we want to see your kingdom not only take over in the world, but we want to see your kingdom rule over our lives. We ask that you would do that, that your kingdom and your will would be done in every corner of the world and in every crevice of our hearts. Father, every single day we need you. We need you to provide for us. God, we need you for our food. We need you for our uh, livelihoods. God, we need you for our, our um, shelter and our, the community. God, we need you, as, as we have seen throughout this, this year with COVID, um, God, the smallest things, things that we would have never anticipated and, and could not plan for, can derail our entire society so quickly. Father, we need you to provide for us each day, to care for us, just as you have through this whole time. We thank you for your blessing in those areas. 
God, we ask your pardon in our lives. We recognize that we have sinned, that we continue to sin, that we continue to mess up in, in any number of ways, that we, that we sin against you and we, we do stupid, selfish, self-righteous things. God, that we present ourselves as, as children of God and then we act like children of the devil. We do this on a daily basis and we need your pardon. God, convict us of these things. Mortify that sin in our lives. Conform us to the image of Jesus. Make us more and more like him as we go through our lives each and every day. Father, and, and lastly, lastly, we ask for your protection. God, there are forces in this world that are, are so much bigger than us. God, whether those are human forces of, of government and and um, culture um, that are moving and shaping things and and making decisions. God, whether those are the the, the spiritual forces in in the outer realms um, that we understand that we are in a war against uh, the demonic. God, that there are forces in this universe that are trying to pull us away from you, um, trying to lie to us, trying to lead us into um, despair, into sin, into hopelessness. And so we ask for your protection against those things. We ask that you would uh, keep the evil one at bay in our lives. God, I don't want to be tempted in these things. I don't want to prove um, my mettle in these things because I know that nine times out of ten that I'm going to be weak and fail. And so, God, take this temptation from us. God, if you are going to test us, we will trust you in those tests, and we will trust that you will provide the strength that we need in those moments. But, God, in those moments, keep the devil at bay. Keep the temptation away from our lives um, because we are, are, are weak and likely um, to stumble in those times. Father, we ask all of these things because we know um, that you are good and wise and faithful, that you are capable of answering every prayer that we have, God, that you love your people and that you are powerful to save them. So we ask that you would do that. I ask that you would do that in my family. I ask that you would do that in this church. I ask that you would do that in our community. Father, I ask that your name would be hallowed and your kingdom would come.